A fading image in American farm country is the vintage windmill. And we found a museum that honors that tradition. And just how has irrigation changed in the number one irrigation state? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week, we're checking in with Kurt Ahrens, editor of Nebraska Farmer, to discuss a couple stories he's done recently on some interesting topics. First, we discussed windmills, and we're not talking about those big white electric power generators. Kurt has written about a unique museum in Nebraska City, Nebraska, honoring a company and a family that built windmills for decades. And we'll let Kurt share more. Then we turn our attention to a little time travel Kurt took on reaching back to 1955 to look at the state of irrigation in Nebraska and then compare it to today. This is an industry that has undergone tremendous change, and Kurt helps put some perspective on that. So let's talk windmills and irrigation with Kurt. Well, Kurt, welcome to Around Farm Progress. How are you doing, Willie? I'm, I'm trying to hang in. It's a... <laughs> Now they got some rain up here, but that's, I think you guys have had plenty of rain, but that's how that yeah, works. Yeah, rain, rain and snow, but it, it's all moisture, so that's good. Like we said, I think we talked a few weeks ago, and we said a drought in winter is easier to take than a drought in summer. So it looks like we're breaking it for you guys, at least, which is good I, I hope so. It gets us down the right road anyway. So, But, you know, the sand hills are always just two weeks from a drought, so you just never know. That is true. So today we're talking about a couple of interesting things, uh, uh, obviously going on in Nebraska, but I think uh, anybody would be interested in this who's ever driven by an old farmstead and seeing what's left of a windmill. And uh, you you ran across as part of your look at things around the state. You ran across a windmill museum, didn't you? Yeah. And this is a really unique place uh, that I think a lot of folks, even Nebraska, don't really realizes there, but the, the Craigle Windmill Factory Museum in Nebraska City, so in southeast Nebraska, uh, it's just kind of in the downtown part of Nebraska City, is uh, a real gem, uh, primarily because uh, it is a, a wind, an old-fashioned windmill factory, you know, the, the kind that pumped water, so the kind that you still see a few dotted out in the pastures and around farmsteads, but um, from about the turn of the last century until 1991 uh, produced uh, windmills. Kregel uh, produced the Eli windmills uh, that were sold, oh, in kind of into Missouri and Iowa, that southeast portion of Nebraska and into a little bit of Kansas, kind of in that area. And anyway, when uh, the factory closed, uh, the family saw to it that it was left exactly the way it was when the owner walked out the door. And uh, so it remains completely intact. And so it's a it's a real gem. That's crazy. So they've got the whole process, right? I mean, when we think of the windmills, well, today we think of windmills are those big white things that are powering our homes and right. stuff. But back then, we, our cattle relied on this stuff. I mean... Yeah, I mean, think about it. Windmills changed the plains in a lot of ways because they they were able to bring water, uh, you know, for the farmsteads. You didn't have to be quite as near to uh, running water, surface water, you know, once you had that windmill. And and so I guess at one time there were over a thousand windmill manufacturers in the country. Um, But uh, Eli was very unique in that they they kind of started as a farm equipment manufacturing company um, by uh, George Craigle, 
and producing the Eli windmill uh, came a little bit later. They at their peak in about 1923, they they produced about 130 windmills. So they they made all the parts there, and then they went out to your farm and assembled them for you out there on the farm. So that that's how it worked. And uh, you know, over it it lasted the the company lasted until 1991 when uh, George Craigle's uh, son Art, who was owner of the company at that time. Uh, he was still in the shop, still working. They weren't building windmills at that time, but he was repairing them. And he went to lunch one day, and he, while he was at lunch, uh, he suffered a stroke. And a few months later, he passed away. He never went back. Wow. Um, so his coat is still hanging on a hook in the in the museum. The safe is still open. Penciled notes that Art had made are still on his desk. I mean, they left it, you know, they cleaned it up, obviously, and interpreted what's there. But it's all there just like the day Art left in 1991. So it's very interesting place. And it really um, interesting from a manufacturing history standpoint, but also uh, certainly from an ag uh, history standpoint, too. That's amazing. Yeah, I know near the end years for most of the windmill makers that were surviving, it was mostly about repairing what was out there because yes, they still work. I mean, you go out on the plains and you'll still see some of these working near a cattle trough or something like that. I know that's still happening. So I'm crazy. told there's about 100 of these Eli's that are still in operation around Nebraska City. So, um, you know, they're, they're still out there. And, you know, what's funny is there uh, art the day he he uh, left that day for lunch. He was actually working on a gearbox and he had it in the vice and it's still in the vice. If you go <laughs> to the museum, it's still there. They didn't move it. But uh, so, you know, he was working on repairs and service right up until the end. Well, I know some people like to put electric pumps on those, those wells now and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But <laughs> you know, the, the, the price of the lifting the water with a windmill that is a lot cheaper than electricity so i think that's what keeps some of those things going that's for sure that's an interesting deal you know and um it's such an iconic image you know the silhouette and the fan the farmstead and some of us do start to equate that as uh not a modern farm but we do know that there are modern cattle operations that still have some of these so that's pretty interesting Let's let's shift gears a little bit, although we're still talking about water and wells. You did a little um, speaking of history and looking back. Uh, you've been you've been looking in the stacks, looking at the old issues of Nebraska Farmer. Yeah, you know, and there's a lot of them. We go back a long ways. They yeah, we do. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I, I kind of started a little column called Then and Now. So it looks at primarily technology um, from, you know, the old days uh stories from uh, some of our back issues of Nebraska Farmer going back a long, long way, and then kind of updating folks on what that technology might look like today um, as it has evolved. And so one of the more recent ones we did was a, a story I looked at from April 1955, Nebraska Farmer, mm-hmm. and uh, it looked at uh, the increase in the number of irrigation wells being drilled at that particular time. I think the report from that particular article said there had been an 18% increase in wells from the end of 1953 to the end of 1954. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we looked at those stats. Very interesting stuff when you compare to today and look at, you know, Nebraska, I think, is the most irrigated state 
home to, you know, all the major center pivot manufacturers. And I think um, back in 1955, uh, I think there's 11,500 irrigation wells in the state. And we were irrigating maybe a little, about 1.4 million acres at that time, which is quite a bit in 55. And today, you know, it's 96,000 irrigation wells and irrigating well over 8 million acres. So, uh, boy, things have changed a little bit. Uh, but uh, you could see the trend even back in 55, heading uh, the direction that it has come around to today. You know, an 18% growth over one year when you look at that, a savvy reader of Nebraska Farmer back then should have bought a well drilling company. <laughs> and they were popping up pretty fast back then, I think. <laughs> well, you know, and to be not to be too negative, but back then it was pretty easy to drill that well. You didn't have to go quite so deep as you have to go now to get to water, I think. So that's and the, interesting, too. The, the point was made in this article, uh, you know, from the state hydrologist's office that uh, in the early days, a lot of the wells were drilled, you know, near waterways. I mean, the water table was higher. They just didn't have to go down as far. But with this 18 percent increase, they noted that in the last five or six or years or a decade, certainly the wells had gotten deeper as technology, drilling technology got better and had gotten farther away from the waterways, obviously. And so that was sort of interesting. The other kind of interesting point was uh, the four counties that listed, I think, that had well over a thousand irrigation wells back in 55 are still the four counties with the greatest density of irrigation wells today in Nebraska. So some things have not changed at all. I mean, that that part of it has been the same. That's, I wonder why that is, why those four counties are such a big deal. Where are those counties? Well, Hall, which would be around Grand Island, they're all, yeah. Platt, I think, Platte River counties, you know, and so that's kind of the way it went. Um, Hamilton was one. I think Dawson was one. And so and and I asked the uh, one of the hydrologists with the University of Nebraska, and he said that today the, you know, the irrigation well density in those counties is still greater than almost anywhere else in the state. So so that part has has not changed at all. Very interesting. However, the delivery system of the water to uh, crop fields has certainly changed since then, as you well know. Um, back in, I think, 59, about 90% of the irrigation water was delivered through flood irrigation in Nebraska. And today yeah. we all know about 90% or more probably is center pivot. So so that uh, that part has changed an awful lot. Yeah, we're doing better with the water, which is good news because yes. when you do center pivot irrigation, you and now you go to lower pressure systems, drop sprinklers. You're doing so much tech. I think that people who don't see irrigation very often might be listening to this and think about, oh, all that water going on crops. Well, we're doing it so much more efficiently than we did back in the 50s um, when we were flooding it. Although I still see some pipes when I drive around Nebraska, so I do still see some flood irrigation going on. Particularly in the in the Platte River Valley, you bet there's still some gated inf uh, irrigation around. Um, but, you know, since uh, old Frank uh, Zybeck uh, invented the center pivot, I think it was on skids, this first prototype. Uh, <laughs> boy, we've, you know, we've come a long, long way. And, and think about um, how efficient we can get, you know, with the, especially in the irrigation zones and getting, you know, water uh, exactly where it's needed, when it's needed. You know, timing is a big deal for the crops and not putting out any, you know, any droplet of water any more than what it's really needed. Um, 
well, that's helped in profitability and yield. And, uh, you know, we don't have the erosion problems. Um, I don't, you know, farmers can't afford to waste much, including water. And so certainly uh, we've done a better job as technology has caught up to, you know, those conservation needs. Well, and then you add in the other things you can do with a center pivot. It's awfully hard to fertigate with a flood system. But when you when you are fertigating with it, when you do the fertigation or the crop protection work, because you can apply fungicides and things like that, and you can do it when you need to do it. If you're not, and you can do it no matter what the, because you're running on those tracks, right? You already made your track through the field with that pivot. Um, it it gets to be very efficient in how we, and we're getting better at knowing when to deliver um, nutrients to the crop, timing, better use of the crop timing for the maximized nitrogen use. I think. The precision that's going on now let's add in that we're starting to look at that center pivot as more than just a carrier of water we're starting to put sensors on the pivot because you can't be closer to the crop than a center pivot so if you start to put vision sensors on there and then you can capture crop health information which we know that that's being done um, in, in experimental work that we've done we've written about it I mean, there's some interesting things, you know, I don't need a drone. I just run the pivot through the field and I can get crop health information almost immediately. So it, when you start looking at those types of things where we've come from that guy drilling wells near surface water in the 1950s to flood irrigate to the crop data I can gather from the same pivot going through the field that maybe my dad put in, it's pretty exciting. Well, and the, you know, the imagery that can be captured and the data that can be captured from those pivots is uh, really helpful because it catches things before uh, before you would normally catch them um, because you you know that's that's your that's already your robot out in the field really that pivot yeah. is, is so much more than just a sprinkler <laughs> and yeah and that's what I think is exciting I mean you yeah. have this infra you have this infrastructure you built this big steel and aluminum thing that's going through your field every year now what do I do with it. <laughs> and you know and that's the other thing the other thing has been the kind of the technology on the nozzle side um where these you know these nozzles are so precise anymore um that was always an issue on fertigation sometimes you know getting the droplet size getting everything correct so you're getting the right amount some of the folks who uh fertigate with liquid manure that kind of thing that's that was always an issue but that's that technology is getting better as well and is really getting precise so um you know what it says is putting out there it, it is and so the 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 distribution and everything is so much better than it has been that's precision water use in a new way and i think yeah. that when we look at how the sprinklers have changed alone it just you know the sprinkler was on the top of the pivot now it's dropped below the pivot it's looped over the you know it's like it's uh, try how many different ways can i attach a sprinkler to a pivot let's see <laughs> and i go and you know how i learn about that is i go to husker harvest days and i just go around and look at all the exhibits and i see all the new ways and the different kinds of wobblers spinners you know all the different spreader things that have been created for nozzle technology and then you add in the water monitoring and the metering technology and the ability to know when that crop needs what um, using satellite data you know, i don't know that you can find a more crisp example of precision ag than a really top-end irrigated farm in nebraska well and and to give credit to the manufacturers mm -hmm. and for all the work that they've done in the research side of this um, and also in Nebraska, you know, we have the Natural Resources District system and they have worked very hard with producers and with 
manufacturers and and a lot of the other local conservation agencies to you know get water use right and to protect the the water table um you know even on in years like 2012 when we really really uh, need the water and and have a lot of irrigation water going out um you would think that it would be such a tragedy and yet our water table yes it declined but because of really uh, good technology good data understanding you know uh, how much we're using where it's going when it's going out um, we were able to you know manage through that kind of a year um, and the the drought cycles that are going to come around again so um, kind of sets us up in a good way but it's sort of a marriage between all the technology of the manufacturers and then the understanding of the data by the natural resources districts and the producers yeah i think just understanding the data and even in the last five years that's come so far uh, the way we understand in the big data sense of when that crop needs water, when it doesn't, when it needs nitrogen or when it needs a fungicide application. All those things have come together in unique and exciting ways. And and all the way back to 55 and you're looking at how many thousand wells were in the state then? 11,500 11, is what their <laughs> estimate was at that time. Yeah, so. You know, and now it's uh, 96,000. I just checked with the numbers, so. <laughs> that's, that's a, well, and yet, and yet I bet, I wouldn't say this, obviously, because there's more wells, but the way we're using the water, um, the impact is probably greater, because I'm pretty sure in 55, the corn yield wasn't what it is today. <laughs> uh, yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> the, the pounds of corn made per, uh, per gallon of water, uh, you know, there you go. And I don't have that number right in front of me, but it's pretty incredible what we can do with, with, uh, you know, a few drops of water at the right time. Well, and, and that's true with crop nutrients as well. I mean, what we're producing and what we're putting on is uh, changed considerably and it's an input story that doesn't always get told. So if we're managing that water to get used more bushels for the same amount of water, which I believe is true, then uh, it goes to say that we're doing the same with fertilizer, we're doing the same with fuel output. Um, and it's just an interesting efficiency story. Uh, but then, like I said, back in 55, why don't I have stock in Lindsay <laughs> or Valley from then? That would be really handy today. <laughs> yeah, or all I, our friends, Ranky. I could go on. I don't want to leave anybody out. Right. <laughs> They're all here. They're all there. <laughs> So as we talk about all this technology, we mentioned that all these irrigators are in, irrigation companies are in Nebraska. The best place to see them when, Kurt, Husker, Husker Harvest, Harvest Days, Days. <laughs> September 14th to the 16th, 2021 in Grand Island, Nebraska. So if you really want to keep up on irrigation tech, that is really the place to go. And, you know, we talk about the center pivot irrigators, but I also have really interesting conversations with the um drip irrigation people, the micro drip people, they're all there. And I think that it's really interesting that if you're really interested in learning more about irrigation tech or you're looking at it for your farm, even if you're not in Nebraska, the place to come is Husker Harvest Days. Again, September 14th to the 16th. And no, this message is not brought to you by Husker Harvest Days, but we, we own that show. I'm just saying. Well, and not only can you visit their booths, but I mean, you can talk to some of their engineers and, you know, talk to the people who are actually, uh, you know, designing, researching and developing this equipment. So I don't know where else you can do that with all of the major manufacturers. 
No, I agree. And I think that's the best part of our shows. Uh, you know, the sister show, Farm Progress Show, as well as all the engineers from the major companies yeah. on hand. But Husker Harvest Days, you could have some real, I have met those engineers at those companies and had really good conversations about where they're going and how they're developing the tech. Well, Kurt Arns, as always, a great conversation with you. I mean, we did kind of cover the range here. We talked about windmills, not the kind that reduce produce power, but the kind that lift water up for my farm. And I think that's fascinating. That museum in Nebraska City is worth a visit, Craigles. And then the rise of irrigation in Nebraska. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks a lot, Willie. The editors of Farm Progress are covering the local areas and finding interesting stories to tell that are not only fascinating in their states, but of value outside the region as well. Thanks to Kurt Arns for his work on sharing a windmill story of great interest and digging in on the rise of irrigation in Nebraska. And as we said, Husker Harvest Days is the place to be in September if you want to learn more. September 14th to the 16th, join us in Grand Island, Nebraska. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team and experts in our industry. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer and feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress virtual experience. You still have time to check out that virtual experience. Just visit huskerharvestdays.com for a direct connection to the virtual event. And you can learn more about our live show coming up this year, too. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.